bless, stir our hearts, and give us something to carry away from this place and share with somebody else. Amen? Does not the Bible say it's more blessed to give than to receive? And I think that goes beyond offerings. But I believe to give good news, to share the love of God, to tell people that Jesus saves is a great, great blessing. Praise God. Well, we're good, good, good to go and uh, glad to be here. Thank you, Brother Ken, for the opportunity to come and be here for a few nights. Uh, and I'd like to say it's good to have my wife with me tonight. Does everybody know Sister Judy? Oh, yeah. We were over at the camp and uh, this weekend for a service or two. And they said, uh, we're going we're gonna to do a, something like a, a giveaway, uh, you know, free, free stuff. And they said, but the, the question is, you've got to tell us the name of the overseer and his wife. Everybody screamed, Sister Judy, Sister Judy. They said, okay, who's, who's the overseer? I don't know. <laughs> Sister Judy's husband, you know, but... Uh, but yes, everybody knows my dear wife, and we appreciate her very much, and we thank the Lord for her, and I'm glad that she's able to be here with us tonight at least, and uh, it's good to have Brother Sister Atkins with us. Praise God. Pastor over at Roanoke, and uh, appreciate them coming. It's always good to see Brother and Sister Murphy above ground and uh, still kicking <laughs> Uh, it's, just, it's just great to see all of you. Praise God. I wish I knew every one of you could call you by name and let you know how much we love and appreciate you. But if you have a Bible, turn quickly with me. We'll not try to hold you a terribly long time. To Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Now, I don't know about you, but I do watch the news now and then. And, uh, and from what I see and from what I hear, I do believe that we are in the last days. I, I'm not a prophet, and I didn't come to prophesy to you, uh, but I just come to tell you some facts. And the fact is, I believe we're closer to the Lord's return than we've ever been before. And I think this, this generation that's sitting right here tonight is going to see some things that you have never dreamed or imagined that you would see. Our country that has been known as great and has been the world leader, <clears throat> I have a feeling that it's fixing to change rapidly. You can't thumb your nose at God, folks, and get by forever. You can't refuse to pray, you can't acknowledge Jesus, you can't tell people, they can't talk about God and get by. God is the creator of all the universe. He created the heavens and the earth. He created you. He created me. He breathed the breath of life into us. And you cannot shut him out and say he doesn't exist. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, look with me quickly. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou 
that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee life. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I think that the writer was talking to not just our world, but he was talking more specifically to the church, talking to the Christians, talking to those that know Jesus Christ, talking to those who know that Jesus saves, talking to those that knows he's coming back again, talking to those that know we need to be getting ready. He says to us, it's time to wake up. It's time not to be lured asleep, not to be distracted, not to be uh, misled, not to be preoccupied with the things and the trinkets of this world, but understand that we're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason, not to build houses out of silver and gold, not to accumulate great wealth and great lands, but we're here as his hands, as his feet, as his eyes, as his mouth to warn a careless lost world that Jesus is soon coming. Years ago, a story was told in a small southern town. Churches had all come together. They had placed their resources financially into one kitty, and they invited this great speaker to come in and speak to the whole community, all of the churches involved. And as he stood in the Colosseum, he spoke and inspired and stirred the hearts of everyone that was in that place. And he was talking about the need for the church and for God's people to rise to the clarion call and to go forth and tell the world when he was finished, he said, now, for just a few moments, he said, we'll have question and answer, period. And he asked if there was anyone that had a question or anyone that wanted to say something. And you know, th there was a gentleman in the back, being in a southern area, southern region, he had that southern draw. And he stood up and he said, sir, he said, I want to say that you have truly blessed my soul. You stirred my heart. You've moved me. And he said, I have been at and named the church. He said, it is the oldest church in this town. Been here for over 100 years. And I've been honored to be the pastor for nearly 25. And he said, sir, we are right on the verge of getting ready to go out into our community and win the loss for Jesus. And the speaker looked at him and he said, wait a minute. He said, let me, let me ask you a question. He said, now you've told me that that church of yours has been in the community for a hundred years. He said, yes, sir. And he said, you have been pastoring there for 25 years. Yes, sir, that is correct. 
And he said, and you are now on the verge of going out to win the lost in your community. He said, yes, sir. He said, man, I want to ask you, what has you and that church been doing for the last hundred years? What have you been doing for the last 25 years? What are you just now getting to the point of wanting to reach the lost? He said, you've had 25 years that you should have been out in the wind, out in the community, out in the highways, out in the hedges, compelling them to come. I think that's what the writer was saying here. It's time that the church woke up. It's time that we understood that it's not so much what happens in here, but it's what's going on out there. A lot of times we have revival, and revival is only for the saints because that's the only ones that come to the church most of the time. The sinners don't care, as the pastor said. They drive by going to the lake, going to the mountains, going fishing, going here, going to the ball game, wherever they want to go, and they could care less what you're doing in here. A lot of them don't have a clue what's going on, Brother Milton, in here. And you say, well, how are we going to reach them? We're going to do it just like Jesus said. We're going to go out into the highways and the byways. We are going to have to meet them on their ground. We're going to have to meet them and their place. We're going to have to carry this message unto them. Jesus didn't have a pulpit that he overshadowed every Sunday morning. He was always out. But now don't, 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 don't. Don't get the idea that I'm excusing you from not coming on Sunday morning <laughs> and Sunday night. No, no, no. You need to be here. You need to uh, not forsake the assembling of yourselves together in the house of God as some is doing because that is a witness and that is a testimony. Every time you put a tie on and you go out and get in your car on Sunday morning, people's got a pretty good idea where you're going. You do it on Sunday night, they've got a pretty good idea where you're going. But my friend, I'm going to tell you something. It's not enough just to come to church, and that's the end of our responsibility. The writer said we need to wake up. We need to arrive, and we're going to have to go out into the communities. The church in Laodicea was criticized for their condition. Now, if you study the history of Laodicea, and it was probably one of the more wealthy more prosperous, more influential, more uh, noted, had the biggest building, had the, the biggest crowd, and they always had something going on in the church. They had programs, they had activities, they had functions, they had everything going on. But the Bible said, now they thought they were top notch. They thought they were the cat's meow. They felt like, hey, we've got it all together. We need nothing else. But when the Lord looked at them, he saw them in a different light. And he referred to them as being what? 
lukewarm. Worthless. He said, I'd just soon spew you out of my mouth. Because you're not cold and you're not hot. You're dead. Dead is what they were. Dead to any kind of compassion. Dead to any concern for their neighborhood. Dead to the condition and the thoughts and the welfare of the souls of those around them. They were dead. Brother Murphy hangs out with the dead a lot. He's got two funerals this week. The man does more funerals than anyone I know of. But let me tell you something. Have you ever went to a funeral? And you go in, and you've got a crowd of people there. There's always going to be one. Always going to be one that's going to get you say, Oh, come here. you got to see this. you got to see this. And they'll drag them through the crowd up to the casket. And they say, look, don't he look good? That's the best I've seen him look in years. Looks like he can sit right up and talk to you, don't he? You know, and people get so carried away with how good the dead look. But I want to tell you something, folks. Regardless of how good they look, dead is dead. They may look good. But if the house catches on fire, they're not even going to get up. If you fall over and break a leg, they're not going to throw a hand out to lift you up. If you take a plate of Kentucky Fried Chicken and stick under their nose, they're still going to just lay there because they're dead. They have encountered and reached Brother Murphy a non-productive, useless state. They may look good, but they'll do nothing else worthwhile anymore. What I'm saying is this. There are a lot of churches across this land that look good. There are a lot of churches across this land that's got programs, uh, that's got activities, uh, that's got a lot of things going, uh, and they look like a beehive uh, of business. But, friend, uh, how do they look in the sight of God? And what kind of difference uh, are they making uh, in the lives of those that are lost and undone without Jesus? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, we need to wake up and realize that our role is not big buildings. Our role is not great, elaborate programs. But our bottom line, the whole purpose, uh, our whole DNA should be to win the loss at any cost. God, whatever it takes, help me to reach out to the lost and dying. I want to ask you a question this evening. The uh, gentleman from the south said they were getting ready to do something. Are you in that state today? Are you one of those that's getting ready to make a difference? Is our church one of those that's getting ready to make a difference. I remember Sister Judy and I years ago was appointed to a church 
And in those days, you didn't try out. In those days, they didn't vote for you. In those days, you went to the state convention. And on Sunday morning, you sat back there tearing up pieces of paper and fidgeting and fiddling. And when your name was called, they said, Jerry Shaw, such and such a place. You got up from your seat. You walked up to the front. And you stood there like this with your head bowed, praying. They had the consecration service. They prayed. They did all of that. And when it was all finished, then you would turn and say, Hey, do you know where such and such a place is? Do you know where I'm going to? Have you ever heard of this place? And what was really bad is if you asked two or three and they all said, No, I never heard of it. You knew you was in trouble then. <laughs> but it's not that way now. You know, we, we try to work. We try to help. We try to be a blessing. We pray and we want to seek God's will. But we went in to this little community. And as we rode in, I thought, well, not knowing where we're going or anything about it, the best thing to do would be stop get directions. They say men don't do that. We did. We stopped. And I asked for directions. And he said, you know, man, he said, I don't think I've ever heard of that church. And I said, well, there's one here somewhere. He said, well, go on through town to the police station. Maybe they can help you. And so we went on, and there was an officer in there, dispatch lady, Talked to them for a minute, and he said, you know, I've been working here for several years, and I don't know that I've seen that church. So we just prayed, God, help us. And we wandered around through the town, ended up way on the back. I should have known to look for the water tower and the railroad track, because that's where it was. You know, if we had a fire, we could just shoot a hole in the water tower, and it would put it out for us. But... When we finally found it, I'm talking to the people. And, and the fact was, the pastor that had been there before us, bless his heart, visited every member he had once a week. And that was as far as he ever got. Didn't go any farther than that. It was his 30 and no more. And believe it or not, they ran anywhere from 20 to 30 was all they ran, and it was comprised of their people only. So basically what I'm telling you is that outside the four walls of that church, nobody knew what was happening. They didn't even know where they were. And you know what I believe? Sad to say, and much to disgrace, if, Brother Ken, that church would have been raptured away, nobody would have missed it. Nobody would have changed. Nobody would have said, where are they at? Oh, how are we going to get by without them? That church was doing nothing to impact their community. Now, let me ask you this. Our theme for the last year or so has been making a difference. The question that I want to ask, are you, as a part of the church, as an individual who loves the Lord, 
Are you in your daily walk making a difference in somebody's life? Or will anybody miss you when you're gone? There's an old song they sing, if I can help somebody as I travel along, then my living will not be in vain. If you want something that will stir your heart, you pray and you get a hold of God and you invite somebody to church and see them pray through it in an old-fashioned altar. You talk about exciting you to know that you had a part of that. Brother, let a revival break out and let people start getting saved in the community, uh, friends and families of the members, uh, and you will see a church that will come alive and become excited. There's nothing, there's nothing. What did I say earlier? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We worked at that church for 10 years. 10 years we spent there trying to make it known. And let me just say this, no glory to me. I'll tell anybody and everybody, my friend, the growth that was experienced there was not from Brother Shaw or Sister Judy, but it was when the people finally woke up and realized their responsibility to make the gospel known and to make the truth known and to tell other people what Jesus could do and what he was doing. When they begin to tell and share and people begin to come in, the house filled up. It filled to the brim, my friend. And I'm telling you, we had a hallelujah time. God blessed. But you say, Brother Shaw, I can't do anything. And that's a lie of the devil. God created you and breathed the breath of life into you, made you a living soul, not to just sit here and fill up a chair. You have a greater purpose than that, friend. You may not believe it, and you may not feel it within yourself, and there's nothing any greater than humility and being humble, but the fact is God didn't make you just to fill up a chair. God didn't save you just so you could go to heaven, but God saved us so that we could serve and we could be workmen in his vineyard so that we could be living proof and share in our own words from our own mouth what the Lord did for us and the difference that he made and what he brought us out of and how he's helped us. He wants you to be his mouthpiece in this day and in this community. You say, Brother Shaw, I can't do that. Well... When the Lord called Jonah to go to Nineveh, he didn't think he could do that either. He didn't want to do that. And he went down and got on a boat and headed in the opposite direction. Now let me tell you what you'll do when you take what the Lord has done and you shut it up within you and you sit down on the pew and you don't do anything about it and you don't tell it to nobody, and you don't witness, and you don't pray, and you don't testify. You just come to church and just plop down and fill up your chair 
you're going to be miserable. And you're going to make everybody around you miserable. Amen. That's what Jonah did. He made himself miserable. And he liked to cause all them guys on that boat to be lost. Finally, when God got through with him, he went to Nineveh. The thing that he dreaded the most, the thing that he felt the most unqualified to do, the thing that was the last thing he wanted to do. And when he got there, my goodness, the whole town repented. He couldn't hardly believe it. And some of you, you need to know that when God lays on your heart to do something, it's not a one-man show. If God lays on your heart to go talk to Brother Lester or to go talk to somebody on your job, you can mark it down. God's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to go before you and prepare the way. And when you get there, my friend, you're going to be surprised at what God's going to do for you. Amen? God says, hey, all I need is a willing vessel. We had uh, a different church. We were having some great services. Young people were coming in. Young couples were coming in. The house was filling up. And this was in Greenwood, South Carolina. We come in one morning, and the house was already full. And I come in, and there were several men in the foyer shaking hands and talking and laughing and having good fellowship. And when I come in, one of them broke out. And he said, Preacher, tell you something. He wasn't talking in front of everybody else. He was talking right in my ear. He said, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He said, we got some folks in here that don't belong. I said, what do you mean? He said, come here. Drug me over there and I eyeballed through there. Looked about halfway or three-fourths down the road to the front. There was a young man and his wife and two little boys sitting there on the pew. And the guy had hair, brother Murphy down on his shoulders, had on an old T-shirt with a pocket on it, jeans with holes in it, and this was before it was a real big fad, you know. Old, old shoes that were covered in grease from work shoes, and she was dressed just about as bad, and the little boys looked like rag muffins. And he said, now, I don't know who them folks are, but he said, just look, they don't, they don't know where they're at. I said, you know what? You may be right. I went up there, walked right up to them, looked them in the eyes, shook their hands, told them who I was, found out who they were. And I said, I want you to know we're glad to have you. You're welcome here. And I went back to him, and he was expecting a report, you know. And I give him one too, buddy. I said, listen, boss, don't you never say nothing to anyone looking like that again. I mean, don't never, don't never judge. Don't never do anything like that. They're right where God wants them. Our responsibility is to help them understand what they need to do so they can do it. And when God gets on the inside, he will take care of the outside. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. There's no point in you approaching new people with your skinning knife, ready to try to start skinning them, you got to catch them first. <laughs> I better get back to something else. 
Anyway, we were having a service on Sunday night. They were there that Sunday morning. They came back that Sunday night, felt comfortable enough to come back. They were there. Service was going on. We had one elderly lady that got up. We had testimony service back then. Uh, you know, we give everybody a chance to praise the Lord for something he was doing. And uh, this lady got up, and I forget what she was talking about, but she was really into it. She got excited. She was a quiet, timid person, little frail, fragile, white hair, hair up in a bun, wore little silver cat eye glasses, and uh, lived by herself. She got up and was testifying and started crying. Tears were streaming down her cheek, and she just get to shake it all over. And all of a sudden, she just broke out to speaking in tongues for a little while, and then she sat down. Service went on. I got up and preached, gave an altar call. Here come this long-haired hippie and his wife right behind him, and they prayed through to old-fashioned salvation that night. Like a good pastor, I followed up in the next few days. I went over to visit them to see how they were doing, talk to them, get a little better acquainted now. And uh, so as we were talking, I decided I'm going to find out what point that I made or what I said that was so impacting upon them that it put him under conviction. And I said, son, I said, let me ask you, what, what was it that, that I really said? And the mistake I made was when I said I. I should have just shut up and, you know, but you never know. I, what did I say that really touched you? And he looked at me dumbfounded and his mouth kind of dropped open. He said, preacher, I, he said, I don't, I don't even know what you preached on that night. I said, okay. I said, well, what was it that really touched He said, you remember when that little white-haired woman over there he said, I don't know what her name was. But he said, when she got up, he said, I was looking at her. And he said, I watched her. And she started crying. And then all of a sudden, he said, she just broke out to talking in whatever that was she was doing. He said, I'd never heard anything like that. But he said, it was like there was a glow on her. And he said, I don't know what that was. But he said, I decided right then, God, that's what I need in my life. I, I don't know what she's got, but I want that in my life. And I said, man, you can have it. You can have it just as great as she ever had. God is no respecter of persons. So what are you saying, Brother Shaw? I'm telling you, my friend, don't never let anyone or the devil tell you that you can't do anything and that you have no worth or that you have no value. You are a child of God. God created you. God has placed you where you are. All you've got to do is yield yourself to him as a vessel and let him flow through you. And you don't know the difference that you can make in somebody's life. The world's watching us, my friend. When we go to eat, they watch us. When we go to the job, they're watching us. When we go to buy gas or we go to the grocery store, they're watching us. And you need to start watching 
for an opportunity to be used of God, to speak a word, to give an encouragement. Judy's little nephew was about five years old, and he was with his mom and maybe his grandma, someone I don't know, in the grocery store one evening. And he was standing there, and they were checking out, and all of a sudden it just hit him, and he turned around to a stranger standing behind him, and he said, did you know I let Jesus into my heart? Out of the blue, out of the blue, I let Jesus into my heart. When was the last time that you told somebody, I let Jesus in my heart? When was the last time that God prompted you to speak to someone, but you said, oh, God, I can't do that. And you took that Jonah syndrome and you tried to run and get away from it and you felt conviction and you felt bad and that opportunity didn't come again. I'm going to tell you something, friend. We need to be praying every day when we get up. Oh, God, this is a new day. This is a new opportunity. Uh, lead me. Guide me, direct me, Lord, and use me to make a difference in somebody's life. Did you know the Bible speaks in the 12th chapter of Genesis? And I'm going to close with this. If uh, Sister Judy would come to the piano for me, it would be great. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord had said... Unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And this is what he said in verse 2. And I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Hallelujah. I think about this verse of scripture. And I think the Lord was saying to Abraham, Come on, Abraham. Come out from among them. Come out from that heathen land. Come out from all of that idol worship, that sinful practice. Come out and walk with me. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bless you. If you'll follow me, I'll bless you. And not only will I bless you, but I'll make you a blessing. I'll make you a blessing. Praise God, your living will not be in vain. Your living will consist more of houses and land. Your living will be more than material things. If you'll walk with me, if you'll follow me, I will bless you for your obedience, but I will also cause you to be a blessing to others that you come along. Amen. Is that what you want to be? Don't you want to bless somebody? Don't you want to uh, be able to touch somebody, influence somebody, help somebody along this way? There's nothing that will make you feel any better. Of course, you know what? We live in a day now that it's really not safe to pick up somebody hitchhiking in the rain. It's not safe to stop 
just because somebody's got their hood hiked up or their trunk hiked up, you don't know what they're getting ready to do. You don't know what their plans are. But oh, my friend, when you genuinely are able to help somebody, it makes you feel good. It blesses you. You know what Charles Swindoll said? He said, our problem's not a lack of knowledge, but it's an absence of passion. He said, we're reluctant to do what we believe God would have us to do, and we're hesitant to go where he would have us to go. We talk for hours about doing the will of God. Most of the time, that's as far as it goes. But to really step out and do the will of God not always as comfortable. Sometimes it takes faith. Sometimes it takes courage. But know what the, what the writer said. If you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, if you'll walk with me, I'll bless you for it. And I'll make you a blessing. I believe, Brother Murphy, every morning when Moses got up, they were in the wilderness on that journey. I believe he got up, believe he put his sandals on, put his robe on, got himself dressed for the day, and when he walked out of the tent, the first thing he did was begin to look around, looking for that cloud, that cloud that spoke to him and said, today we're going this way. And, they, and Moses said, all right, Lord. I'm right behind you. Or that cloud said, today we're going this way. I'm with you, Lord. I'm following you. Wherever you lead, whichever way you go, and if you say, stand still, then we'll stay. But his desire was to follow God. His desire was to please God. And Abraham wanted to please God, and so he left everything that was familiar, everything that would hinder, and he ventured out into a direction and into a land that he knew not. But as he trusted in God and walked with God, God blessed him, and he was a blessing to others. The writer said we ought to obey God rather than men because you've been bought with a price. And you're not your own. And you're certainly not to be the servant of men. Would you stand with me this evening? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe to get from where we are to where God wants us to be may require some adjustment. What do you mean, Brother Shaw? Well, I think about Paul on the road to Damascus. It required some adjustment for Paul to be what Jesus wanted him to be. It affected his thinking. It affected his relationship. It affected his actions. It affected his belief to be what Jesus wanted him to be turned his whole world around. 
it moved him from a comfort zone to a very uncomfortable situation. But nevertheless, the blessing of God, the joy of God made it all worthwhile. Paul said, I can do all things. Hallelujah. He felt almost invincible. One fellow said he was so excited he could almost charge hell with a squirt gun. He was enthused about his relationship with Jesus. Are you that way? Are you enthused about what the Lord's done for you? Are you enthused about how God has brought you this far? My friend, don't keep it to yourself, but we need to be praying, Oh God, lead me, Lord. Lead me that I can share with somebody else and tell them what you've done for me and that they too can find this wonderful Savior. I want you to join with me in prayer around this altar, if you would. This is the first night of our revival. I don't know what God's got in store for us, but I know this one thing, my friend. God has a purpose. God has a work. God has a job for every one of us. And every one of us can do something to make a difference in the world around us. Could you join with me in the altar as we pray? Praying, oh God, may your will be done in my life.